0: Hi, this is Ken Morton Jr., and you're listening to episode number 32 of our Hazel Rockets podcast. And would love to just to tell you thank you for being along for the ride so far. This particular podcast is one that's going to be really, really near and dear to our heart. We have a a foundation, a 501c foundation, that's called the Morton Golf Foundation. And if you've listened to previous podcasts, You've heard us talk about the different work that we have an opportunity to do here in the community and the beyond uh, with our Golf and guitars Music Festival and a whole bunch of really cool charities that we have, uh, including ones that support vets, ones that support Special Olympics. And there's one in particular that um, is one that's really, really, really special. And um, we're going to get a chance to talk to uh, the young lady who has started this and uh, helped kids that have uh, issues with uh, cardiac events in their lives, and it's called Angels for Hearts. And uh, Ken Kaufman is someone who used a major experience in her own life to really change the course of her whole existence and really uh, took what could be a Uh, truly life-ending or life-altering experience uh, with a congenitive heart failure in her her own life and has turned it into this incredible learning and athletic endeavor for kids with uh, cardiac issues. And uh, it's truly amazing. They've touched now 1,500 kids in the greater Sacramento area and are taking children who normally would not have an an opportunity to actually play athletics uh, or be um, competitors in sports and turning them into athletes and actually watching kids that have had uh, open heart surgery and uh, major traumatic heart issues turn into high school golfers. And uh, it, it's truly unbelievable to watch. And she really wanted these kids to experience just the uh, simple joy of enjoying the game of golf. And so she started this great foundation after she was diagnosed with congestive heart failure at the young age of 30. And through her experiences in the hospital meeting pediatric heart patients and their families, Kimberly realized that she was in this really unique position to help because she was one herself and saw the issues of being separated from family and uh, kids being told they couldn't. And really wanted to be told that kids could. And uh, so she started a program called Golf. And what it was was a first-of-its-kind series of golf clinics that were uh, originally held at Del Paso Country Club here in Sacramento. And then expanded to include uh, Hagen Oaks Golf Complex. And um, where golf is recommended as a safe sport for their pediatric cardiologists to get out in the fresh air learn the game of golf, and for many heart kids, it's actually the first sport that they've ever, ever played. The program was started back in 2014, and you might ask yourself, why golf? And, And when Kim asked her cardiologist to explain, this is kind of what he told us, that golf's a fantastic game for heart kids for multiple reasons. First, playing golf is great fun and offers a wide range of mental and physical benefits, It's also a social event that allows the kids to get out and mingle. And when uh, Kimberly talks later, you're going to really hear why that part's so important. He said he goes on to say, "Just a good walk in the fresh air does wonders for endorphin and serotonin levels, leading to improved mood and reduced levels of stress and anxiety." A round of golf's great for physical fitness; that it's not overly strenuous, but the exercise and the use of the muscle groups of the arms, legs, backs, and abdomen help the kids. And that golf's a low-impact sport, making it ideal for heart kids who shouldn't participate in rigorous or contact sports. And then he goes on to say exactly what we all think, that Angels for Hearts is an incredible organization for introducing the kids to golf and making them comfortable and excited about the game. And that he applauds the organization, fulfilling a niche that's sorely needed to assist these kids along the road to recovery and throughout the rest of their lives. And that really says it in a nutshell. This work that Kimberly is doing with pediatric kids is truly groundbreaking. It's truly important. We're thrilled to just be able to be a small part of it and help contribute financially to it. But to really understand the whole thing, you really have to hear it from Kimberly's own words. And for that, we'll turn to the interview portion of our podcast. So uh, please sit back, be ready to be inspired and uh, learn a little bit more about Angels for Hearts with Kimberly Kaufman. Kim, thank you for joining us on Hazel Rockets. Um, We're super excited you could come join us today. Um, Start with kind of your background and maybe kind of how your personal story led into uh, what would become Angels for Hearts.
1: Well, my background, I was completely healthy. I didn't have any cardiac issues. I was a normal kid, healthy, went away to college, was in a sorority, I was still Gamma, San Diego State, came back and I did commercial real estate and escrow, actually commercial escrow. Um, And then in 2004, I was diagnosed with the flu, but they couldn't figure out what the flu came from. And it took eight months to diagnose that I was actually in uh, congestive heart failure. And they misdiagnosed me for eight months with everything from breast cancer to leukemia to lymphoma deliver wow. all sorts of stuff what, was, a, what
0: a roller coaster of emotions that must have been.
1: It was ridiculous yeah and back and forth to Stanford and one oncologist said something's going on you're not crazy. We just have to follow the symptoms. And they finally sent me to Stanford and it took about three months for them to figure out it was heart failure. But once they figured it out, it was a text textbook for a young woman in heart failure. And that was the sad thing: is that the stereotype for heart failure, and please pardon this stereotype, you even saying this, is an older, bald, beer belly man. Right. It's not women, and it's not children. And I was fast tracked for heart transplant because they figured out when they first diagnosed my my CHF, which is congestive heart failure, that I had a heart attack. I was diagnosed. On December 1st, with congestive heart failure, they found out on August 13th, so four or five months prior, I had a Widowmaker. And it was misdiagnosed by 911 and everyone as heartburn. Wow. Because they just did a very simple EKG and they missed it. Largely
0: it like, due to because you're not, you don't fit the profile. Nope, didn't right? fit
1: the profile. I was 29 at the time, and I'd had a lot of Mexican food and a lot of hot salsa that night. And my heart attack was on the backside of my heart. So they needed to do a 9 or a 12-gauge lead, and they did a 3, which is just a very simple, just to kind of prove you're okay. Sure. But I don't fault anyone. They were following the symptoms, and I had no history of heart issues. Right. So they fast-tracked me for a heart transplant. And we thought we'd be in the hospital for two nights when they did the angiogram, and that's when they found out how bad my heart was, and I'd had the heart attack. And I had the front half of my heart muscle was dead, and the back left side was dead. So I have less than a quarter of a working muscle, and my heart's five times its size. So if that tells you, my heart doesn't pump very well. Sure. So now, had
0: you known that you had an oversized heart prior to all of this? No. No. So that was all new news, too. Oh, new,
1: totally new. Okay. It basically, I have my, myocardiomyopathy, which is you have get the flu and it attacks your bloodstream and goes to your heart. Okay. So you have flu-induced heart failure. Okay. So it's just a simple flu that randomly happens, and it's called my, I can now finally say it, myocardiomyopathy. Right. And it happens a lot more than people even realize, which is very sad. So they fast-tracked me for heart transplant. They put in a pacemaker, an internal defibrillator, just because they thought, if I have another heart attack or another event, I won't make it sure. because my heart's not strong enough. And I was in the hospital for about two days, but for 62 days or 63 days. And they let me out for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And then I had to check back in on the 26th for until February. And during this process, I was in the cardiac ICU at Stanford because that's where they finally weren't able to figure out my heart condition. And my family spent that time in a hotel. My mom had to live in a hotel for, you know, 60 days. And we really learned, you know, it's not about who, what you do for Christmas. It's who you're with. And it doesn't matter what you have. It's who you're with. And...
0: There's one of the most profound holiday lessons of all time, right? Oh, yes. Yeah.
1: And, you know, my youngest brother was a senior in college, went back to Sacramento from San Diego, got the stockings, got some stuff for my mom, brought it to the hotel so she could have a little of her own Christmas stuff. Right. Because she'd been there for a month already and then is having, you know, just... I never... I'll never forget celebrating Christmas around the Christmas tree at the hotel. And, you know, we didn't have presents, but we were never big on presents as a family anyways. Um, And we, that year, I just started doing some research and just kind of learning about hearts, heart things. Didn't really know about kids at all. And then two years later, I was in for an ablation in 2006. And a doctor came in and told me that I was being taken off the transplant list for medical reasons. That basically, because I got the heart failure from the flu, they don't know if that would happen again. So I was not a medical candidate for a heart transplant, which rocked my world. Because sure. it went from, you're going to live, maybe you could still get married, adopt, have a life, to be prepared for hospice. It's a whole new change of plans. And that night, my nurse made me walk around the unit, and I never looked in rooms because I was so scared. And that night, I looked in rooms, and there were two kids. And it bothered me. And if anybody knows me, you know I ask questions. I like to learn. I'm not asking to be nosy. It's just I want to learn. And she couldn't answer my questions to satisfy me because she didn't know. And so she went and called what's called a child life specialist. From the Children's Hospital, which is Lucille Packard's Children's Hospital, which is at Stanford. Okay. And they came over. And child life specialists are people that, they're not medical, but they go to school to get a certificate in children's uh, specialty. So basically, they can teach a child through play therapy and recreation therapy what's going to happen to them at their age. So they could build a Lego CAT scan or they could take a doll and show how an IV is going to work. They can walk a child through a transplant via video so they can understand and give them knowledge. It's one of the secrets of the hospital, and I really think they need them for adults because child life specialists bring down anxiety for kids.
0: Sure, I can totally see that happening. If
1: adults had them, could you imagine <clears throat> the anxiety levels that would go down for adults? Yeah, If you're sure. going to go in and have surgery? I'm the proponent for having adult child life specialists. Yeah,
0: well inevitably we're looking online and scaring the, you know, the pants off of ourselves with all of the worst case scenario stuff, right? Exactly. Yeah.
1: But if you had an adult life specialist that could tell you before something happens, this is what's going to happen, stick off the internet. Right. It would take your anxiety from high to this is what's going to happen. I'm not scared anymore. And they basically said that these kids were safe. I now know they were probably post-transplant. And my biggest fear is, where were their parents? Well, in ICU, you can't sleep with your child. Right. So their parents were probably in a sleeping room down the hall. It was at night. Mom and dad were sleeping while their child was sleeping. But to me, it was, where was mom and dad? These are little kids in this big, scary place. And they said, "Well, these kids have wish lists for Christmas. Santa's needs to find them." And I explained my story, my background, and said, "I don't have a lot of money, but I'll make those wishes come true." And I went to tar- Target with two two hundred and fifty dollars, and I spent two hundred and forty nine dollars and ninety eight cents, and made those wishes come true as close to it as I could. Awesome and delivered the toys and i thought they were the biggest bags of toys i'd ever seen my mom and i had so much fun she didn't have grandkids at that time my friends were starting to have kids so shopping for kids was just such a fun thing to do yeah and shopping for other people's kids was even better yeah not knowing who they were going to but girl age three boy age nine
0: and and, and at the time probably a critical diversion for you with what was going on right?
1: Very much Yeah. something and it was very much something nobody could do anything for me so I needed to do something for someone else and that's what I told Child Life is I was always brought up volunteering and I was always raised it doesn't matter if you can do something for you do something for someone else whether it's small, big just could be holding a door open or saying hi to someone. Do something for someone else. And at that point, when no one could do anything for me, I had to do something for somebody else. I just couldn't sit in hospice and die. That was kind of what they wanted me to do. And I didn't know how to do that. And so I delivered the toys a couple days before Christmas, and I had to have go back into the hospital for something else. And I distinctly remember not even saying my name and just saying these are from Santa Claus. Because if you're part of Angel's Hearts, Santa Claus does it does exist. You do believe because he's the mag- it's the magic of Christmas or the holidays. And the next year I was in hospice, wasn't doing that well. And my parents and I decided to write a letter to friends and family and see if we could do this again. And we raised $5,000. Not as a nonprofit, just as a family. Right. And this was in 2007 in the economic downturn when nobody had money. And for us to raise that kind of money, child, the Child Life at Lucille Packard thought I was joking and kept just giving me ideas. Well, I bought that. They needed a DVD d player i got it they needed a 20 inch television, van we got it they needed six wagons we got it you know they didn't think i was going to show up with those things because the year before i had 250 dollars and a lot of bags so i get it that somebody could say oh i have got five thousand dollars and they show up with one bag right that's you know i i understand why they weren't quite trusting of me And when we showed up, they just didn't
0: know you yet. No,
1: they didn't know me. They didn't know. They didn't know that if you set, if I set a goal, I'm going to try to surpass it. Yeah. Or at least get to the goal. For sure. And, long story short, we showed up, and they had one volunteer to meet us, and we had four SUVs. Wow. Full of toys, and it was just, it was unbelievable of what we had done, and it was. I nicknamed it Project Angels for Hearts. And the theory was someone you don't know doing something nice for you. And just angels being it, guardian angel, and hearts for heart kids. Because I was a heart person now. Sure. And that year, I was in the hospital, and someone from the foundation at Lucille Packard found me. And said, when you're out of the hospital, we'd like to meet with you. And we went and met with them, and they said nobody's helping heart kids. Well, who are you? Wh- what did you do? And my mom just had happened to have a copy of her letter, and we showed it to them, and they said we will find a pro bono attorney to help you if you go ta- if you go 501c3 and get your tax exemption and become a nonprofit. But the only part of that is you need to help Lucille Packer no matter what. And my response was, well, that's where the heart kids are. And I'll never forget the guy at the foundation that was laughing at me because he's like, honey, they're everywhere. I didn't know they were in Sacramento. We have two hospitals here. We have two children's hospitals. I didn't know that because they're within the walls of a bigger hospital. Right. At Sutter Children's and UC Davis Children's. They're just in the walls of a bigger hospital.
0: Well, and if it's not on your... uh If it's not on your radar, if it's not within your scope of of awareness, how would you ever know, right? No.
1: And I didn't, again, I didn't think kids had heart issues. And pardon the stereotype, you see on commercials when you think of sick kids, you think of, please pardon the stereotype, a child with a bald, a bald child. Right. And it's usually for cancer. Sure. You don't think of heart kids. But one in one hundred and ten children born are born with a congenital heart defect. One in one hundred and ten every year. That's it's the leading birth defect in the world. Now if you put and that's a CDC number. If you compare that number to the cancer statistics, by the age of nineteen, one in three hundred and thirty-eight will be Affected by cancer in some way or diagnosed by cancer in some way, and more children die of heart related issues than all types of cancers combined. Wow, but you don't hear about heart kids.
0: yeah.
1: And that's the strange thing to me is there's so many more of them,
0: yeah,
1: but everybody's focusing on other kids, yeah. And that it's, we need it's, to, it's,
0: it's the non visible. Uh, illness right, right. I, I mean you, you don't see it on in no. the hair or on their face all you, the time so. you can't see it there's a
1: first scar is under their shirt sure it's not like cystic fibrosis or leukemia lymphoma any of those things down syndrome you can't see it. right Cancer. you can't see it but we need to help those heart kids because there's so many of them yeah and it's... it just angels hearts kind of happened out of by accident and I say it was a blessing in disguise.
0: So at what point did your new nonprofit then dive headfirst into golf?
1: We, we were founded in 2008, and we used to have a fun party for heart Kids every summer called When I Grow Up. And it was not a career fair, but just a theme. And we thought kids want to do something when they grow up. We could have a revolving party that has different quote-unquote grown-ups. And we had two professional golfers come from Del Paso Country Club, and they were the grown-ups for golfers. And heart kids were hitting the balls so far, and all of a sudden, we invite the cardiologists and the nurses and the doctors, everyone to come out to our events. And everything's free for the heart families and their kids. But we want, we always invite the doctors and nurses so they can see the kids outside of the hospital, and the doctor said, this is the one sport we've been telling these kids they can play. Well, if you think about it, most people think golf can be a, is a very expensive sport to play. You need to belong to a private country club in order to play golf. That's not true. Especially in California. Especially in Sacramento. We have so many great public courses. Sure. Like Hagen Oaks, Land Park, Big Maloney, William Land Park. All of these courses. It doesn't have to cost a lot. You can buy loaner clubs, or you can buy used clubs, starter clubs. You can, you know, try clubs and start, you know, test them out. Yep. You don't have to... It doesn't have to be an expensive sport.
0: And with the foundation, the First Tee and the Morton Golf Foundation, we have uh, golfer ships, too, that yes. can actually help get the kids' equipment if they can't afford it that right. way either, so...
1: Which is wonderful. Yeah. And we're tied into you guys. Sure. And so, basically... That was in August. And Allie and Doug had a golf program that they had set up. They talked, met with the cardiologists. And by October, we had a golf program called I Heart Golf, with a layout and a clinic date and everything was set of how to do it. And we started in February of 2014. And we just finished our seventh or our eighth year in Eight. a... In seventh that, year here.
0: In that original uh, class, how had many kids in it?
1: We had 38.
0: Dang. And then, uh, to this day, how many are running through the program annually?
1: We've had 1,500 go through in eight years.
0: That is amazing.
1: We've had... This year, we had 28 kids. And COVID actually really helped us with our program. Because we realized that the, when we put the kids in smaller groups... And now we do it by skill level they're having more fun and we're able to focus on their skills and they're having more fun because they're playing at their level so if they're older kids that have been playing since they were five or six now now we have it they start as par or par plus which our beginners then par is the starter kids then we have eagles and birdies and eagles and eagle players they've been out on the academy holes. So they're working on chipping and putting and really finishing the finishing touches of how to play an actual hole of golf, rather than just the basic how to swing the club. And so it's been very, the feedback from the families over the last two years has been so encouraging that we used to just have them in two big groups and disperse them. Now actually having a skill drill in February And then putting them into their skill, into their different teams, we're really growing the game of golf.
0: So You you certainly are. What what kind of special considerations have to be allowed for some of these kids coming up through the program?
1: Some of them have carts. They can't hold their own club. They can't carry their clubs. It's just too heavy. Um, We do have to work with our coaches at uh, Martin that they can't be too aerobic that the different drills that they might do when they're with the first tee or the northern california golf institute they might be a little bit more aerobic with our kids we have to keep the aerobic side down but really golf there are no restrictions and that's the
0: beauty about that game right
1: that's the wonderful thing about the game is they can play it you know there aren't many sports you can play at any age and golf you can play at any age and we encourage our families to play with the kids So we get the parents out on the driving range, we'll have a coach or two helping them, we make sure they know how to get balls from the ball machine, because we want the parents to feel comfortable bringing them out here. And we wouldn't be able to do our golf program without Martin Golf and your family and the foundation, because everything we do for the Hart Kids is free. They all get golf clubs, they get a logo shirt, they get a hat, they get everything they need. And as they grow, we replace their cl- clubs. We kind of recycle them through until they get their adult set of clubs.
0: What, um, if, if you're a child in there, you know, what does this program mean for them? You know, what kind of impact is it having on the individual child in, in, in the classes?
1: Right now, we had a young lady, Ava, who started with us. And a lot of the heart kids are very quiet and very shy and almost don't want to be seen. Because they're heart kids, and they just, they're unsure. This young woman went out for her, her high school golf team, and she made it. And a lot of these parents never thought their kids would ever play a team sport. But we've introduced golf, and she's the second player, or the third player we've had from our golf program, play on their golf team. But this, this is the one that we really would have never believed would have gone out, gone sure. out for a golf team. But I think their confidence has grown. And their shoulders, are help, their shoulders are back. And now a lot of them have found their voice. They talk. And they want to talk. And they want to know about golf. And they want to know where they can play. And where they can play more. And can they do this? And it's just, it's neat to see them. It's almost like a, a butterfly that comes out of its cocoon. And to see the parents be able to be with other parents and talk about something that they know they can look at each other and a mom could be crying and another mom knows exactly why that mom is crying because they're able to be with other families that know that same experience
0: right it's got to bring them at once the kids a sense of normalcy a little bit but the parents has got to be this incredible social network of being able to support one another all of a sudden right
1: yes definitely because they're aren't many places you can do that right and with covid in the hospital you can't go into the you know meeting rooms or sharing rooms or playrooms and meet other people but through our heck golf the parents can meet other parents siblings can meet other siblings and you know with her kids a lot of them spend a lot of time in the hospital weeks or months and you have siblings that know that and understand that and that's a not, it's not a normal life, no, not at all. And mom and dad split their time between the hospital, and you have extra family and friends that help with its siblings. But to come to Ahit Golf, and we have its siblings and heart kids ages four to 18, so you have siblings that are able to meet other siblings and then connect. and Maybe they'll have their own play date, or they'll connect via phone and they can text or talk if they, you know, if parents allow it. But then they're able to connect with someone that understands what they're going through. Because nobody else understands this unless you're in this life. And with heart kids, a lot of parents will explain or say, my child has an expiration date. They know their child may not live to be 18 or 21 or 45. And that is something that no parent should ever have to know.
0: No, for sure.
1: But what I found from these parents and what I take away is they live and they live every day and they don't take any moment for granted. And these kids have fun and they're happy to be here. And I've taken a lot from that because I had my down days that, Oh, I'm not going to woe is me. And then I meet these kids and it's like, you know what? I had a great life and I still have one. It's just different now. Sure. And for them, I think it's, I had a normal life, and then I got sick. For them, they don't know any life any different. So they just know life being a heart child, right, right. and we're giving them normalcy, and that to me is the biggest gift we could give, is a little bit of normalcy of playing a sport and doing something as a family sport. That's even a bigger gift, that they can do something as a family together.
0: Well, If you're listening to this podcast and you've made it this far, you now know why we love Kim and her program as much as we do and how now it's pretty easy to see that your heart is bigger than all of the rest of ours because of all of the love and care that you give back to the community and all these kids. It it all makes sense to me. Um, If there's people out there and they want to learn more about the program or help contribute to the program, how do they do so?
1: You can go to our website, which is www.angels with an S, then FOR, and then hearts with an S.org. You can like us on Facebook, social media, Instagram, Twitter. We're just trying to get the word out. And, you know, donations are wonderful because everything we do is free for the Heart Kids. So we need, you know, donations. We support four hospitals in um, their child life programs to make sure the kids have everything they wish, want, or need when they're in the hospital besides iHeartGolf. But if you have a heart kid or you know of a heart kid, let us know so we can get them together and get them in golf, I heart golf, or at least put you together with other heart families. And thank you for having me today. We really appreciate it.
0: Nope. I appreciate you coming in very much. And um, she uh, gave you those details. Uh, if for some reason uh, you need to reach out to us, uh, you can always give us a shout uh, at the Hagen Oaks Golf Super Shop at 916-808-2525. And we can uh, put you in contact with them as well. It's an incredible program. Um, one that uh, I, I know our foundation Um, it's the first dollar we want to put out in our grant money every single year just because of the wonderful, wonderful work that they're doing. So thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Ken.